This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. It's upon us, boys and girls, in the most bizarre time of all, the World Cup is almost here. Across the next two days, join us as we preview the greatest, or so we believe, show on earth. Starting with a look at the City players involved at the tournament today. We'll rank each City's players' chance of glory and cross our fingers that they all come back in one piece. It's Thursday the 17th of November. I'm Amos Murphy. I'm Adam Booker. And I'm Alex Brotherton. And this is the City Report podcast. Unbelievable! Manchester United one, Manchester City six. It's two for Jekko. Tottenham Hotspur three, Manchester City four. Possible, possible. Chaps, chaps, welcome. Um, I don't know about you, Adam, probably not because you're a certified miserable bugger, but I'm starting to feel a little bit World Cuppy. I feel like a mum near Christmas time now, getting excited about putting the decorations up. The wall chart got printed off yesterday, the sticker book's filling up. I'm, I'm getting, I'm unashamed to admit it, but I'm finally getting the bug. I, I think I'll get the bug the second a ball is kicked. Um, everything about this World Cup just feels wrong to me. I mean, we're not even going to really delve into the political aspect mm. of it. But I was just thinking about this. You know, it's it's been, what, eight years since the U.S. played in a World Cup. Eight years ago, I was 18 years old. You know, I was probably enjoying a nice summer break. I, I would guess I probably had just graduated high school, so I was in a very freeing time of life. Um, but no, now it's you know it's cold. I like the cold, but it's just a different feeling. It's it's cold. I'm gonna have to work. It's just mm. it doesn't feel the same as being off in the summer and you know the, the yeah. nice weather and going to watch parties out at, you know out in the city in the nice weather on a big screen on the side of a building. It just it's not going to feel the same. But mm. once the ball gets kicked, I, I'm sure I'll be into it. I know what you mean. My my last World Cup, all those four years ago, I was 18 as well and had a very similar sort of summer. And it was great because England were doing fantastic. 
it's a little bit colder this time, as you say. But and I mean, obviously, it goes without saying this isn't the usual tournament. We thought we'd be best avoiding rehashing the same sort of chats. I'm sure you've heard a number of times now, not sort of through negligence, purely because there's a lot of people who are on the ground in Qatar who who have researched this topic for a number of years that are doing a really good job at exposing that sort of side of it. Go check it out if you need any links. I've I've got plenty. Um, but. As for the football itself, Alex, are you a little bit like me? Are you are you in the zone now already, or do you think it will take until what is it? Uh, Senegal versus Qatar? No, I've got that wrong. It's Ecuador versus Qatar as the first game on on Sunday evening. Is it going to take until a masterclass from the the Qatari national team in opening games that for you to really get your World Cup fever going? Um, no. Uh, <laughs> with the greatest respect to uh, with Qatar and, and Ecuador, I think it's not perhaps the most exciting of World Cup openers we've ever seen. But I think when England, the next day England get their campaign underway, I think that's when I'll get a bit more excited. Mm. But I think, yeah, like like Adam, I've not really, um, you know, I'm not quite feeling it. And I think the time of year has a huge part to play. And probably because this is my first uh, World Cup where I've, you know, kind of got more responsibilities now, you know, I'm going to be working. I'm not sort of frolicking around Europe on a, on a long sort of um, summer holiday while the tournament's going on. So um, yeah, it's going to be a bit of a different one, but I think when England, um, England play on Monday, then I'll probably get a bit more into it. And then obviously after that, there's there's going to be quite a lot of interesting games coming up. So um, I'm looking forward to it, but I wouldn't say I'm bouncing off the walls yet, but there's still plenty of time for that. Let's just hope the the broadcasts are up and running because so far they're not allowing cameras anywhere else in Qatar. Is that an exclusive? <laughs> Have you not? I, I mean, am I the only one that's seen this? That like TV well, channels are getting shut down, and I know I know a few American American journalists have been uh, told they aren't allowed to take pictures, and their pictures are being deleted and stuff. Is this? Am um, I breaking this news right now? That you are breaking this news to me. I've seen plenty I'll, of, I, of videos. I'll happily send send some links after. Uh, there was a Danish television that was, you know, I they were live that. talking yeah. about the Danish national yeah. team, and they came and threatened to break their camera. <laughs> I did see that one. I have to say, so um, but, I'd be surprised but, if they even allow cameras to film the game. So hopefully, we do get to see the games. Yeah, it'll be a bit like when was it North Korea in the 2010 World Cup when um, the North Korean citizens were told that. North Korea won the World Cup. <laughs> they beat Brazil something like 9-0 in the final. Listen, like if they want to film nothing and just tell me that Christian Pulisic <laughs> scored a 97th minute winner in the final and that's it, yeah. I go on with my, my merry life, fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, okay. I'm sure that, yeah, yeah, in your dreams, I know. Um, but speaking of mums at Christmas, Alex, you make a good point because for me, I think my theory is while the build-up's been sour and it's not been what we're used to, I reckon when the football starts, it will be absolutely fine. And a little bit like those mums at Christmas when they're going, oh, I don't feel Christmassy this year, but but when Christmas comes around, it, it feels normal. While it may be a little bit colder, I think we'll, we'll all be absolutely fine. Um, right, okay, what, what are we here to do today then? Well, in, in part one of our two-part World Cup preview, we'll be looking at the City players involved at the World Cup because there are a bloody lot of them. Adam, let's start with England no club has more representatives in the England squad than City that's five players who are involved in Gareth Southgate's team Calvin Phillips Phil Foden Jack Grealish John Stones and Kyle Walker of course 
how do you expect them to to do this summer? Which which of those names do you expect to feature the most? We've obviously had news today that Kyle Walker won't be ready for the first group game, so there's one player out. But in terms of the entire tournament, how far England get, do you see them playing an integral part or are there a few that, that might get minutes here and there but, but maybe not starting every game? I think out of all of the countries that have a significant representation from city players i think this is the most interesting because you've obviously like you mentioned kyle walker is not going to be fit for the first group game calvin phillips has obviously only had about 45 minutes of of football coming into this um you know phil foden i think correct me if i'm wrong i think he's a bona fide starter um Mm. john stones i believe is probably a starter i'm not quite sure um and then you know with jack Grealish, it's interesting because Last time out in the Euros, it was, you know, the stadium was chanting his name and, and everyone was desperate for him to to play and come off the bench. And I wonder if him being perceived as um, his transfer to City not being successful up to this point, does that change his, um, you know, England fans' mm-hmm. outlook on him? So I think there's a lot of question marks around the City players at England. We probably see them as players that should be in the team, you know, for 90 minutes every single game. Um, but I don't know if necessarily they're seen that way by Southgate. So I think it's it's really interesting. And obviously with the fact that England went to a semifinal in the last World Cup, the um, the final in the Euros, then obviously they're going to be one of the favorites to go pretty far. Hopefully hopefully they don't, and hopefully they don't at, at the U.S.'s expense. But I, I think it should be pretty interesting to see how some of these players shape out. Yeah, it, it, it's fascinating. Like you say, there's five players of a City persuasion in the England squad and, and you couldn't say man for man that each of them will play every every single game. Even Phil Foden and John Stones, who I think will probably be the first names on the team sheet, all it takes is a, a, a dodgy game and suddenly there's, there's somebody waiting in the wings to come in. Um, Alex, in that first league game back on the 31st of December, I think it is, versus Everton, do you foresee City welcoming back five world champions? I mean, six if you include Jordan Pickford in that team as well. Is the World Cup trophy going to be paraded around the Etihad on New Year's Eve? Is it finally going to happen for Southgate's men? Or are you along with the naysayers who are saying that it's going to be a, a swift exit from the tournament for England? Um, yeah, I don't know. I can't, I can't really decide if it's going to be a swift exit or not, but I don't. I don't think they're going to win it. Um, I'd be quite surprised if they got to the final, uh, and I mean that's that's less to do with the 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 incredible talents that they have, and more just I think the cycle of this England team um, in terms of how Southgate sets them up and how he wants them to play is perhaps perhaps got a bit stale. I think um, obviously we saw with the Nations League, and yes, the Nations League isn't a major tournament, and. You can't just say you can't take that as an absolute sign of what's going to happen. But you know these were competitive games that England wanted to win, <clears throat> and um, and they just some of the performances were just so dire and so uninspiring. Um, and I just think it, this has been the last sixteen months has been a bit of a wasted opportunity. I think, in my opinion, from Southgate, mm-hmm. I think obviously England have got some of the most sort of exciting uh, attacking talents in world football, and now they've got incredible midfielders like like Jude Bellingham, for example, who's coming through. Um, and they've got some other young defenders who didn't make this World Cup squad. And I think it, since the Euros a year and a half ago, it was the perfect chance to kind of sort of bed them in and try and evolve the team a bit, making it a little bit more attacking. 
rather than what we're probably going to see, which is a pretty similar lineup to the Euros, similar setup, where England are sort of defence first and then they think about attack, which obviously worked pretty well at the Euros. But I think it the, the Nations League campaign, obviously with it, England not having won a, game, a, a competitive game uh, for six games, I think it is without a win, is... Uh, I think it just showed that maybe teams have figured them out. It's that maybe the team aren't quite buying into the same system anymore. So I'd be surprised mm. if that gets them the same sort of setup, unless Southgate's got some sort of incredible trick up his sleeve, which kind of, I kind of doubt. Um, <laughs> I think they're probably not going to get to the final. I think semi-finals will be good the way that they're going to probably going to yeah. set up. But um, I don't think I don't think we're going to have Phil Foden. Um, naming his his next kid or his next pet after Jules Ramey or anything like that. <laughs> uh, I don't even know if he'd be able to spell it, but I know exactly <laughs> what I know exactly what Jules you mean. Jules Ramey. Yeah, yeah. There's been so much said about Southgate in England in the build-up to this tournament. Like you said, they had a cataclysmic Nations League campaign and haven't won a game of football in months. Personally, I, I don't think you can read much bar the bare minimum into the Nations League because of the when it was played in the summer and then obviously in this sort of mini half season sort of period. Even still though, you know, I often find England's hopes, and I say this as a sort of a pessimistic Englishman myself, but often England's hopes are so massively inflated to the point where they're no longer realistic. If you were to sit down and, and let's take this tournament, for example, and objectively rank each nation's squads, I think you'd be hard pressed to find anyone putting England in the top four, and and I mean it, it seems it seems reactionary, but genuinely look at the likes of Argentina, Brazil, France, Germany, Spain, even Portugal and the Netherlands to some extent. That th- there are there are better players in in international football now. Does that mean England should settle for a measly quarterfinal defeat? Ab- absolutely not. But I find myself often at times getting exasperated with the narrative that with Southgate and with these players that England have a divine right to be sort of at the upper echelon of international football because because for me personally it, it just isn't true and I think whatever happens if England win the World Cup if they go out in the group stage this is probably Gareth Southgate's last tournament in charge you have to for me look back at what was Euro 2016 probably the lowest point in a, in a series of low points for English football and, and what's happened since then and I think it's a success, regardless of what happens at this tournament. But hey-ho. Um, anyway, that's that. Quickly, Adam, I, I did promise some airtime to the US team. Now, while there aren't any City players in the squad, they are in England's group. For those who might not have watched the US before, what, what do you think we can expect from them? And, and will they challenge for qualification in Group B? I mean, I think in, in Group B... Second place is up for grabs if we assume that England are are the favorites. Um, from a talent point of view, I mean, if you go back and look at the squad, the, the U.S. squad that failed to um, qualify for the 2018 World Cup, you know, that was a squad made up of a lot of players from MLS. Um, and, you know, players that didn't play in MLS played for kind of subpar clubs in Europe or, or South America or wherever. Um there's been a, a little mini revolution in the past four years, which I think was kind of driven by the fact that we didn't qualify for that World Cup. Um, and it kind of made the country look inwards a little bit, um, which we could do in a lot of areas. But, um, <laughs> you know, now this is a team filled with a lot of young players. I think um, m- almost every single game that we lined up in in qualification, we set a record, at least 
for our, for the US um for like the youngest squad that we've ever played and it was like every week the squad would get younger and it would set the record for the youngest squad we've ever played in a qualifier. Doesn't that just um, defy the laws of physics? Like surely those players get No, older. we we I mean, kept bringing like the opposite. in No, 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 we kept bringing in younger players <laughs> essentially. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like it's a team. It truly is like a team made up of kids. I mean, now that thirty-five-year-old Tim Ream finally got the call up, you know, it (laughs) it it helps the the average a little bit. But I've been saying for a while that this is not the this U.S. team's World Cup. It's going to be the one that's here in twenty twenty-six when all those players are twenty-seven, twenty-eight years old. But you know, this is made up of a team with starters from Juventus. Starters from mm. AC Milan, starters from Borussia Dortmund, starters from Wolfsburg. Like it's a it's a team of much more talented players. Does it all gel? We'll see. Um, qualification went fine, and like like England, we played some games leading up to the tournament after qualification, and they were absolutely horrible. Mm. Um, granted, it was games in an empty state we played like a, a 10 a.m game in an empty stadium in germany against japan and it finished like nil nil or something you know it was, it, the mm. games meant nothing so it'll you know it'll be interesting to see them actually kick a ball at a tournament but um i think it really is going to come down to, to second place in that group i think there's there's every chance that everybody beats iran and that's i, I mean no disrespect to iran because i i'm not I think, sure i'm not sure I, I, listen listen we've had We've had countries like Iran and Qatar and Saudi Arabia come over and play in our tournaments, and they are really, really good. They're really good, and they're they're very underrated. Um, but just purely on talent levels, um, I think it's it's really going to be the U.S. battling out for that second place. But if they get through, I'm not going to be surprised. And if they, you know, if they finish in third, a point out of second place, I'm not going to be surprised by that either. Mm. Yeah, it, it's a really tight group, and I know. I mean, you, you, England really should have this group wrapped up, but it's the World Cup. These three matches, anything can happen. I wouldn't be surprised to see all four teams being able to qualify on the final get on the final game. Interesting what you said about Iran. I think the the political situation it cannot be underplayed as to how much that is going to make a, a difference. Um, as Moon, who's one of their best players, is is sort of on the brink of being kicked out of the squad for speaking up against um, the the regime's actions. So. Without that, I reckon Iran would have been a big threat. Perhaps that neutralises them a little bit. I'm not too sure. Um, Right, okay, we'll refocus on the City side of things then, Alex, and we'll move on to the nation with the second most City players, and that is, of course, Portugal. Bernardo Silva, Ruben Diaz and Yao Cancelo were involved, oh sorry, are involved for them. Uh, Maybe a bit of foresight as to to how far they're going to go. I'm writing them off already. But Alex, while it's only three players, that's an incredibly important trio in terms of City players. Yeah, uh, 100%. I mean, key players for City and they're also key players for the for the national team. Um, it's, yeah, it's obviously we've we've seen this season, Ruben Diaz hasn't been quite as, you know, key to the City team. He's not, I think it's the last three Premier League games, isn't it? He's not, um, mm. not started for City, but um, he's still a, he's still a great defender and offers a lot in, in terms of leadership, especially, um, as well as he's just, he's, he's very good defensive qualities. And then, you know, we know how good Jack Cancelo is uh, at left back, and I'm not too sure. I think he actually plays at right back, yeah. is it, for yeah. Portugal? Which, yeah, yeah. in my opinion, he's a better left back now than he is a right back. But um, mm. we'll see. It'll be interesting to see how he how he sort of fits in with the Portugal team at the tournament. And then obviously Bernardo Silva. You know, is what there isn't much more you can say about him. And I think depending 
on if uh, Cristiano Ronaldo starts uh, many games for Portugal at the tournament, which I don't know. I'd, Fernando Santos doesn't strike me as a Eric Ten Hag type that's going to kind of stamp his authority on the team. Uh, yeah. I think that's part of the reason why he's still there, given how uninspiring Portugal have been in recent uh, mm. tournaments. But, you know, Bernardo's role as a sort of this this guy that runs everywhere and does everything could be quite important if you've got Ronaldo up front, not really willing to to do much off the ball uh, work. Um, but yeah, I'm not I'm not really too confident about Portugal's um, chances, which is, you know, on paper, they've probably got one of the best squads, um, mm. primarily because of those that City trio. But Fernando Santos, it's, he's such a conservative manager. And it, obviously it worked in Euro 2016 and no one expected them to win it. And they, what was it? They got to the final without winning a game in six in, inside ninety yeah. minutes, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, but they just, I just think this is the tournament where they're gonna. It's just not gonna go well, and it's it's gonna be like the sort of wasted chance for this. Almost these players are in their sort of golden years now, um, sort of prime of their careers. Obviously, Ruben Diaz is a bit younger, but um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I just think there's so many with a different manager. Uh, they'd just be such an exciting team to watch, and. They're just not. They're just. They're just boring. Mm. Um, which yeah. I yeah. hope we don't have too many Portuguese listeners after I said that. Yeah. But um, I get the feeling some agree. So yeah, not too confident about Portugal's hopes of going really far. I'm sure they'll get out of the group, but after that, you just can't really tell with Portugal. I, I know exactly what you're saying, and and by all means, most Portuguese football fans agree. I guess this is where you, you draw the line between what we spend 99% of our time speaking about in club football and, and in international football, because effectively, most of the time, it isn't the best team in the world that wins international tournaments or the most exciting team in the world. And, and yeah, Fernando Santos is the proverbial football terrorist. But when you have players of Jao Quanzal, uh, Quanzal, I can't even say his name, Jao Felix's quality, Bernardo Silva's quality, even whisper it, Cristiano Ronaldo's however little quality is left there. Moment they're going to pass madness. him the ball, though. Well, maybe not. Maybe he's just going to be in a rondo. But um, well, <laughs> Ghana, Uruguay, and South Korea, Adam, are the opponents for for Portugal, and and I agree with Alex. I don't see them getting majorly far. But even with the Ronaldo saga that we've hinted at, you get the feeling Portugal should progress through that group with absolute ease. I mean, we speak about an, an aging Portugal team. You have to look at that Uruguay side who are uh, Suarez and Godin are still in that team. So it says something there. And it, it could be around a 16 game against one of Serbia, Switzerland or Cameroon, whoever finishes second to Brazil. There's every chance Portugal don't go deep in this competition. And with three City players playing such a huge role, that's a bit of an issue. Yeah, and you know, you'd imagine when, especially when you look at the talent in that squad, and and the fact that they do play a, a relatively negative style of football, um, that that type of football wins ter- wins games and tournaments. You know, we only mm. have to look back to their European Championship victory um, a few years ago, and and yeah, I I, I flip flop in these tournaments between the sentimental aspect of wanting to see players that I admire as human beings uh, through city mm. be successful and wanting them to um lose a, lose every single group game and and get on an early plane ride home which i think mm. i think this year given the fact that you know city are are 5 points behind in the title race and they've got you know a game against liverpool a day after the final um 
Uh, I'd be hoping three for days. Come on, let's not, let's not it, let's not exactly well, it three days. No, I it's the twenty second. Yeah, it's the twenty second. So it's they've got the the lovely rest and recovery time of uh, seventy two hours, which is um, okay. Should be plenty. Um, I think it's four either days, way. Actually. My yeah. Oh, you know <laughs> what? You know what? I hope they go all the way to the final. Then that changes everything. <laughs> <laughs> that changes everything. Um, yeah, I, I think that's one of. Portugal is certainly one of the squads that you're looking at and you say they've got a lot of talent there and there is absolutely a chance they could go on a run. Yeah, yeah. Um, and especially looking at, I mean, it never does, does it? We always do these predictions or these, this team could play them in the round of 16. There's always one big gun who finishes second and it throws it all up. And But especially if, if things go to plan, it should be an easy-ish route for Portugal, which um, could be could be problematic for City. But that'll do for part one. We'll be back in a moment to continue our look at the City players involved at the World Cup. Welcome back to the City Report podcast. With me today are Adam and Alex as we look ahead to the upcoming World Cup. Right, back to it then, lads. Um, next up, Spain. I have to say, Alex, when I saw Imeric Laporte getting strapped up against Brentford and the sort of him lying there for a good eight minutes or so, I was a little bit worried about his World Cup chances, especially having just come off the back of an injury. Lo and behold, he arises, he resurrects from the ground and back gets back up and plays the full 90 minutes. He's in the Spain squad alongside Rodri. For me, they're another pair who could be getting a lot of minutes at the World Cup. And, and two, I know Laporte hasn't played a lot this season for City. Rodri definitely has. But two players who could be really crucial heading into the new year. Yeah, um, I think it's fair to say they're two of the most important players for, for Luis Enrique's uh, Spain squad. Um, yeah, obviously, I'm at Laporte. He's probably the the first centre-back in the team. He's he's. In recent, I guess at the Euros and since then, the, the main two he's played alongside have been Pau Torres and um, Eric Garcia, who we know. And neither of them have really convinced too much. Uh, and then you've got Rodri, who's kind of the, the successor to, to Sergio Busquets, um, mm. who is still capable of playing at the top level, but he has shown he is slowing down a little bit. So I think, yeah, I think you're right. They're going to be playing an awful lot. Um but it might not be a bad thing for Laporte, you know, after the, such a long layoff that he had. Might be, mm. might be kind of a good thing to to help him get him back to, you know, the ability to play every few days. Which since he's come back, um, he hasn't been able to. So um, yeah, I'm quite looking forward to seeing how they both get on. I think I think Spain are going to do well. It just depends if they can get the ball in the net at the other end, which is something they haven't been as good at uh, as mm. that great Spain that great Spain team was. But uh, it'd be interesting. Yeah, they've always had an issue. Even the the tournament winning Spain's always had an issue with number nines. And um, Alvaro Morato, do you reckon he's going to set the world alight for what's what's Spain's name? Is it Las Rojos? Las Las Rojo? Las um, Rojo. Las, yeah, oh, nicely done. That. Yeah, um, I'd, yeah, I I thought it was a bit sad at the Euros, wasn't it? Because he was the sort mm. of arch villain straight away, uh, <laughs> and he was getting hounded uh, Morata in the Spanish press. And then in that semi-final defeat to uh, to Italy, wasn't it on the yeah, on the penalty he shootout? He he scored like a crucial goal and then mm. missed the crucial penalty in the shootout. <laughs> so um, it, he, he his hero to villain arc went full, just did the full thing in that in that one game. But uh, yeah, I think he's only scored two goals since the beginning of September for Atletico Madrid. Um, mm. So it's not great form. But yeah, I I kind of rate him more than a lot of people do, but. His track record for goals at all the clubs he's been at isn't really good enough, considering the the level of clubs he's continues to play at. So hopefully he can sort of find that scoring touch. Because if not, 
Um, they don't have too many sort of number nines. You know, does does Luis Enrique go with Ferran Torres as a number nine? Never doesn't really play there for Barcelona. Well, he doesn't really play much at all for Barcelona. <laughs> but um, yeah, that that would be yeah. Again, that that's their main issue, isn't it? Number nines. Mm. There's been that joke going around that every country should get the chance to use Holland like in one game this season <laughs> because he's he's not at the tournament. And it feels like Spain is the country that is a mm. Holland away from being arguably the best team in the tournament. And if they had mm. somebody that could convert chances, you know, they've they've got they they obviously have not yet run out of, you know, those flair midfielders that can set the tempo and pick passes and and create chances and um, yeah, obviously, if they if they had the big Norwegian up there, a big Spanish Norwegian up there, they would be um, they would be a force. Yeah, yeah, they definitely would. Um, we'll we'll use that to segue onto the next thing then, because they're actually in Spain's group along with Costa Rica and Japan. Germany. About 12 months ago, there had been a fear Ilkay Gundogan would drop out of the German side or maybe even retire from international football itself. Hansi Flick has come in, um, obviously previously by Munich. Very much a part of the squad now is Ilkay Gundogan. There's a little bit of confusion or a little bit of worry heading into the final few months of his contract. It'll be interesting to see how he goes on for Germany in that group with Spain because Speaking of big teams that could slip up, you feel like Germany are either going to have a, a nailed-on run to the semi, or they could be going home in the group stage once again. Don't you, don't you think, Adam? Yeah, I mean they're they're one of those countries. It seems like every World Cup that if they put it together, then they're a threat because they they've always got the individual talent. Um, as far as Gundogan's role, you know, I think I mentioned that I flip flop between the sentimental side and and just wanting City players to come home early. I think he's somebody that. I adore him so much as a human being off the pitch that I would mm. absolutely love to see him succeed. And I think no matter what, I'll be I'll be rooting for him throughout the tournament. Um, especially the fact that his role has kind of gone from a bit part player to to um, you know an integral member of the squad. I'd love to see him to forsake his penalty woes at City and step up and take a big penalty you know, in the, in the <laughs> semifinals or something and send Germany yeah. to the finals. Um, yeah, yeah, I'll definitely be polling for him. And and like I said, they're, they're a country that are always a threat if they have, you know, five or six good days out. Yeah, I, I saw somewhere actually that if you take every single Germany finish at a World Cup, their average position, even, even including the group stage exit last time around, is the final, which is astonishing. Like on average, they reach wow. the final, which I don't know how that even works, but um, but yeah, it's pretty incredible. Um, right, let's rattle through the last couple then, Alex. Um, someone we could spend a lot of time speaking about, but Kevin De Bruyne feels like he's very much shouldering the hopes of a. a a below-par Belgium team heading into this World Cup, not the team they once were at all. I say that, were they ever the team? I mean, semi-final in 2018, I think that's probably as far as they got. You know, the golden generation, I hate the, I hate the term, but it certainly was, and they got absolutely nothing from it. They've got a favourable but tricky group at the same time, if that makes sense, with Morocco, Canada and Croatia. Interesting to see how they get on, but I fear for Kevin's load because he already looks knackered. Yeah, um, it's it's kind of I think the pressure's really on, isn't it? It's sort of a bit like last chance saloon now for the mm. for the so called um, golden generation. Um, yeah, and obviously he is he is well, he's carried City at times this season, and with that Belgian team when they're not really they don't tend to 
there's a lot of games they have where they don't really seem to click as a proper unit and he mm. we do see the kind of the, the Kevin De Bruyne are trying to force everything and run from one pitch to the other many times um so maybe it wouldn't be a bad thing as much as I'd like him to to go far because you want you want to see him and there are the great players go deep in the tournament if it were to go all the way that it probably wouldn't be great for his um sort of fatigue and tiredness mm. levels but um yeah it's I'm not too optimistic about Belgium either, which is mad considering the players that they've got. But maybe the maybe the pressure will, you know, they'll rise to the pressure and that'll cut, spur them on, or maybe it'll just be too much and they'll sort of go out in the last sixteen or the quarterfinals again. I think they should get out of the group, um, mm. but then you know, I think it's between them and Croatia. It's, them and Croatia are the favourites, but you know, Canada are something of an unknown quantity, and you know, for the rest of the world, um, I'm sure sort of. US fans and Mexico fans know know a lot about them, but um, they've got some good players as well. So it's it's definitely not a, an easy group for Belgium. No, not at all. Um, not at all. It will be, yeah, it, they could be one who who sort of have their tournament capped at around a sixteen quarterfinal sort of uh, sort of position. Um, Adam. Julian Alvarez, Argentina's number nine, unlikely to start ahead of Lautaro Martinez, and obviously the main man Lionel Messi. I actually think it sounds stupid because he plays for Manchester City, but I think this could be somewhat of a breakout tournament for him in the sense that he started well at City, but has obviously been in the shadow of a six foot four Norwegian. I can see him really shining in cameos for Argentina because they they love to make it difficult for themselves. And if they are going to, as many are predicting, go on and win the competition, you know they're going to have like a round of 16 against, I don't know, Poland, where suddenly, oh no, they've got Poland in the group, haven't they? So that's not going to happen. But you know what I mean? A round of 16 against a team where the nil-nil in the 118th minute of extra time and someone somewhere pops up with a goal. I reckon it could be Alvarez playing that role for, for Argentina. Yeah, and he's, I think, a player that's built for these kinds of tournaments because he's a guy that's going to, you know, leave everything on the pitch and, and mm. be constantly running and pressing and, and harrying defenders. And, um, you know, in, in these big, huge games with tons on the line, that's the kind of thing you want to see is the players kind of leaving their blood, sweat, and tears on the pitch. And, um, you know, particularly with South American countries, the passion that they play with is is always incredible. And when you see him playing with that kind of passion for a club that you know in a in a city and in a country he's got no connection to, and and that he's brand new to, and you can only imagine the the kind of energy levels he's going to put in for Argentina. And you combine that with the fact that he is um, you know as skilled as they come, I think he's definitely going to going to play a role. And I'd love to see him do that on the big stage for sure. Yeah, I think everyone or most people are sort of, if it's not going to be their nation who who wins competition, seeing Lionel Messi lift the World Cup trophy would be phenomenal. And obviously that would mean Alvarez would too. And and he's just a nice guy, you feel like. And it would be that, that smile he has, I think it'd be lovely to see him um, on the podium with a World Cup trophy. Three players left. This has been a, somewhat of a marathon um, going through them all, Alex. But we're into the sort of the defenders and goalkeepers now. So um, Nathan Ake, first of all, Ollie on Tuesday's show labelled him as as possibly the most underrated player in City squad, if not one of the most important. With the back three slash five that Van Hal usually sets the Netherlands up with, he's another player who was going to get a lot of minutes. And maybe in the Laporte category of, of the sense that they don't play every week for City. So this could actually benefit City going into the new year if you have Ake playing alongside the likes of Van Dijk and, and Matthias De Ligt. 
and he comes back feeling fresh. I, you know, Netherlands aren't a team I, I suspect will do much in this tournament. So it, another one who could be using this as a sort of a, a training camp. Yeah, the most extravagant training camp yeah. in the world. <laughs> the most expensive um, bloody training yeah. camp. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I'm a bit more, a little bit more optimistic about the Netherlands. I think they've shown okay. that they're quite hard to sort of break down and defensively they are very solid. Again, I think it's a perhaps a little bit of a Spain question about who's going to score the goals and they probably got more of a problem than Spain in terms of creating chances um, mm. as well. Um, so, yeah, I think defensively, you know, Ake is going to have a really important part to play. Um, you know, maybe they look to set pieces a little bit more than some teams to try and get those advantages because their attack isn't quite as exp- inspiring as other other nations. And, and Ake could play a role in that as well. You know, he's, he's not the tallest centre-back, but he is pretty good um, mm. in the air. So, um, yeah, I think he'll be an important player and I think we'll see him quite a lot, which is nice because I think, you know, he's proving this season how good he, he is after a couple of seasons at City where he didn't really get to prove himself. So I think it's nice that now the rest of the world will get to see that as well um, because, you know, he's a really good player and by all accounts, a really nice guy as well. So, um yeah, I think it'll be important. Yeah, uh, recently, um, having had a child as well, so so hats off to him. Um, right, Adam, we'll combine the two because there's not a lot really to say about uh, about these two. Um, Edison and Akanji, two very different players playing for two very different teams. You can't see Akanji, although uh, I believe they're in the same group. Yeah, they are in the same group. Akanji, you assume, plays every minute for, for Switzerland, but doesn't go far. Edison, you presume, plays very little, if any, minutes at all for Brazil, but goes far. There's not really going to be any concerns for me. I don't think heading into the heading into the the, the new year slash half season, whatever you want to call it, but the two players who I think would would play a lot of minutes for City going forward. Yeah, I mean, I think Switzerland. There's always a country like Switzerland that have some major role to play in these tournaments. It feels like. One of Denmark, Sweden, Switzerland, or, or or a country like that, they always have some major role to play, some major knockout. You know, I think it was what mm. France that Switzerland knocked out in the Euros. La- yeah, or was it yeah, Denmark? Yeah. I can't remember. No, it was it was, um, it was France. It was France. Um, so you know, maybe it's Switzerland's year to play that major role. Um, and, and Akanji maybe goes to a quarterfinal or, or something like that. Um. But yeah, I don't. You know, that's that would obviously be a surprise. And with Brazil, is Ederson going to play at all? I, it's going to be Allison. Um, it's going to be unless Allison gets injured. That's the only way Ederson gets on the pitch. Um, yeah, so you know, you're not worried about him really getting injured or anything like that. Um, and, and if he did, we're comfortable with Stefan Ortega. It seems like yeah, these days. Yeah. So, um, but no, yeah, I, I'm I'm not really worried about either of those two players from a City point of view. I guess what you will say is that the fact that alcohol is going to be so limited and inaccessible during this tournament, it's probably for the better in terms of Edison because that man can party. And you reckon if he had a few weeks just doing absolutely nothing, you you probably find him in all sorts of uh, rogue places. Um, right, Alex, we'll wrap. I'll ask you a question. Which City player slash players has the best chance of lifting the World Cup in the next few weeks? It's a tricky one. Um if any at all? I think, well, if we're going to say best chance, uh, yeah, I, I think, 
It's too hard. <laughs> I think Yulin <laughs> Alvarez and Edison have both got a, a good chance. Obviously, Edison mm. might do it without playing at all. Um, I think that that you can't really look too far past Brazil and Argentina for the favourites. Um, I also think if Spain can solve their number nine or just goal scoring issue in the in the box, then I think Laporte and Rodri have got great shouts as well. Um, mm. And yeah, I think for me, those are the main ones. Maybe Gundogan. Obviously, Germany are always um, always a great side, and it looks like Hansi Flick's done a good job after after Jurgi Love's tenure kind of petered out a bit. Um, but yeah, I think I'd probably go with the the Argentines and the Brazilians. Nice, Adam. Same question: um, Which city player has the best chance of lifting the World Cup? Because out of I think there's uh, what is it sixteen? I think only Bayern Munich have more players in eighteen. You'd assume there's some at least in the semi final, if not final. Yeah, I think I'd agree with Alex. Um, one of those two, Argentina or Brazil, um, maybe Portugal, if they, um, you know, with this that style of football, I think if you get confident in the way you're playing and you play a, a game that doesn't concede a lot of goals and you find goals at the right times, I think that's how teams win tournaments. And there's certainly a group that can do that. So I think that... It, the, probably the top tier is Brazil and Argentina, and then right below that is probably Portugal, Spain, Germany. Mm, yeah, yeah. I don't think I could cope with seeing Cristiano Ronaldo lift the World Cup this year. I think that, after all the build-up, I think that'd be enough for me in terms of football. Especially for me because it's Messi's last tournament, most likely, yeah. and <laughs> I. Yeah. Um, I I fall very, very far on one side of that divide and I, I certainly yeah. wouldn't be able to stomach that. Yeah, me too. In fact, I don't think I could see Piers Morgan's face, let alone Cristiano Ronaldo's face, but fingers crossed that doesn't happen. Um, right, guys, we'll call it a day. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with part two of the World Cup preview, doing some predictions in our usual prediction show style. Until then, I will see you later. I've been Amos Murphy. It's been a pleasure. I've been joined by Alex and Adam and that's that for now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.